I don't make my kids apologise. I don't think it's genuine if a child is told to apologise and they walk over and say sorry. But I ask them to identify how the other one feels and I do ask them to ask their brothers how to make it better. I'm Sarah Kearns and welcome to the podcast. This is a safe space to discuss the topics affecting everyday families. Let's take an inside look into our own realities and the realities of others. We'll learn together as knowledge creates empathy. Empathy shapes the way that we act and those actions can change our family and those around us. This is The Conscious Project. Hello, welcome back to the podcast. I thought today we'd talk a little bit about conscious parenting and gentle parenting and tantrums and discipline and all of those things. Parenting is hard. It is so hard Um, and it will test you and it will bring out things in you that you didn't know were there. It's an excellent way to unravel some, you know, of our own trauma and triggers because if there's anyone that can trigger us, it is our children Um, and this battle that sometimes we get locked into with them. I think when people talk about gentle parenting, they think that that means the children run the roost. They, you know, don't have punishments or consequences. Um, They do whatever they want, whenever they want, and parents are too scared to say anything or do anything in case they cry. The real thought that kids are always to be kept happy and we need to do whatever they want to be happy, um, to be gentle. But it's it's not the case at all. Boundaries are very important. Discipline goes along with that, of course, to enforce those boundaries. And I thought I would just talk a little bit about what it means to me. But I want to obviously put it out there that this is an ongoing journey. It's a lifelong journey. It's something that I'm learning every single day. It's something that some days I do really well and some days I do really poorly. And, you know, you put the kids to bed that night and you look back at your behavior and you think, oh, I did not be the parent I wanted to be today or I didn't handle that situation the same way that I wanted to and it's so easy to listen to a podcast or hear someone speak or or read an article and go yeah that's a parent I want to be I'm going to do that and then you're in the moment and you feel the rage boil over you and you just think oh and you yell or scream or do whatever you know the action that you didn't really want to do and and you find yourself going, oh, how did I get here and, and what can I do better? And I think that if you're left with that feeling of this isn't the parent I wanted to be, then perhaps looking into different theories around parenting and different states of parenting may be helpful. So conscious parenting to me is basically being aware of our egos, our trauma, um, the triggers in us, and responding to our children from a calm state, a, a centered state, and not in one of these ego or triggered state. To be present in the moment and respond to a situation instead of reacting to a situation from a trigger. It's whether it be a difficult or a joyful 
moment, we want to respond to that moment and not react. Um, It's a lifelong journey. It's learning to connect with your kids, with yourself, with love and acceptance instead of a control and a fear. To getting to a place where you just accept yourself and accept your kids without needing an expectation to be met. And I found the best way to describe this is around children's sleep. We have such an expectation as a society that perhaps we'll have a few months of newborn sleep and then boom, they'll hit one, they'll sleep seven to seven, you put them in bed, you close the door, you don't hear peep from them until 7am. And some kids may do that and that's fantastic, but it's become a societal norm that a child should be sleeping 12 hours a night without needing any assistance from you at all. And it's just not the case. It's not biologically the case. It's a huge expectation that kids are just set up to fail. And, you know, I don't know many adults that could honestly say they go to sleep and they don't wake up for 12 hours and don't readjust or need a drink or go to the bathroom or or are uncomfortable or hear a noise or any of those things that our children then need us for to help them get back to sleep. So, you know, for kids that sleep, amazing. Some kids don't and some kids won't. And some kids are higher needs, um, particularly emotional. They have that higher emotional need. And I find those kids don't sleep. I have three of them, lucky me. But once I got rid of this expectation that they should be sleeping 12 hours without needing me, it just became so much better. It got easier. I could handle it. I wasn't fighting them anymore. I was responding instead of reacting. I was responding to their need instead of reacting to them in anger and frustration and an overwhelm. I just responded to them and we're all getting more sleep and we're all happier and we're all feeling more at ease and more connected. Sibling rivalry Discipline and tantrums are probably one of the biggest things that pop up online um, and questions that come in from followers on how I deal with it. I have three boys. They are seven, four and a half and two and a half. They're all about two and a half years apart. So they're quite close in age, but still far enough in age that one person is either smarter or more capable than the other, um, particularly in getting what they want. You know, the two and a half year old is still really, really difficult to reason with um, and to be able to negotiate fairly as opposed to the other two have sort of got that skill down pat now. And when I say they've got it down pat, I mean, you can reason with them a lot easier than what you can a two and a half year old. So all children go through it. Um, My boys are beautiful boys and they absolutely fight even though they get along beautifully. They sleep together every night. They protect each other. They're so empathetic, but of course they fight. They bicker. Where does it come from? Conflict happens when we perceive the world is unfair. If we feel we've been wronged, we've not been heard, or we've been excluded, and it triggers a caveman mind. It perceives it as a threat and those stress hormones begin to raise and we go into that fight or flight response. When you look at most sibling rivalries, you can take it back down to that fight or flight response. You generally have tears, dobbing in a flight, or you have fight when they're going to grab that toy back off their brother and sock him one. Um, and they're, they're in that conflict because they perceive that what is going on is unfair. Conscious parenting doesn't mean we just allow them to do whatever they're going to do. We don't just let them fight. We don't just let them hit their brothers. Um, But 
it means that we have firm boundaries, they're communicated to the family and they're consistent and they're conscious methods of dealing with that boundary crossing. So it's not about letting them do whatever they want to do. Those boundaries are very much in place and we call them firm no's in our house. Hitting is a firm no. Actually, our actual way we describe it is hitting in anger is a firm no because I have three boys and hitting is play. (laughs) Boys roughhouse, it's normal, it's natural, it's actually good for them, it's good for their brain development. Maggie Dent talks a lot about roughhousing um, and how beneficial it is to boys, so look that up if you're feeling a bit overwhelmed. But hitting in anger is a firm no in our house and that will lead to very consistent and conscious methods of discipline. When we go into discipline, and I know a lot of people will just ask me, like, what do you do? And I think it's more important to give things to think about and the things that we think about when we set these boundaries and the the consequence for crossing those boundaries into place. So conscious, gentle parenting is about empathy. Would I like to be treated like that? Am I doing something and treating my child in a way that is unfair, is in a way that it would make me feel like I'm not cared for or um, valued? It's about respect and respect to me is trying to get that understanding. Why are they feeling this way? Why are they acting this way? What is going on for them that means that this is their behavior? Reassessing our actions and our responses. So am I being triggered here by something, by my upbringing? Can I hear my mum's words coming out of my mouth? Not that she's done anything wrong, but am I just saying stop or just telling them not to do that because of how I've been conditioned by the world that children should be seen and not heard? Or is it something that actually is important? Is it a reasonable request? for that child's age, cognitive ability. Am I asking too much? Are we asking a two-year-old to sit still for a a period of time, you know, whether it be out at dinner or a movie or something? Are we just asking too much from that child and what their little brains are actually capable of doing? And if you don't know, look it up. Online, you can find so much information about the cognitive abilities of kids, and it really helps put into perspective how much we're asking from our kids, um, particularly when they get to that five or six age and they're at school, how much we're asking from them and whether they're capable of doing that. And then obviously our boundaries. What are firm no's, hard no's, and what methods are we going to use when those boundaries are crossed? We need to make sure we pick our battles. Does this need to be a lesson? Am I trying to teach my child something about being a good person, about the world, or can this just be redirected? Can we just redirect them and just move on? Does this have to be, is this a learning curve right now, or is this just a let's get through the rest of our day? Don't take things personally as a parent. Their behavior is not an attack on you. I think that's when we really need to break it down. What's going on? Why are they acting this way? Is it hunger? Is it overwhelm? Are they confused? Do they have anxiety around not having control over their day? Do they have a lack of empathy for others? Looking into ourselves, self-awareness, do their loud emotions trigger you? Are you stopped right now or as a child from showing emotions? 
this is when that irrational anger seems to boil out of us. So when we're feeling that red hot anger, that's us being triggered by their emotion. And it may take a little bit of self-work to work out why. Why are we triggered by that? I know I'm quite sensory and I actually didn't know this until I had children three very loud boys. And noise is a really, really big trigger for me. It sets me off. It triggers me. It Sometimes the noise is so hard for me to cope with that that's when I will yell. That's when I feel that rage boil up, my face goes hot and I will explode and I react and I don't respond. So that's something I need to work on more is more successful. It's going to be more successful for me to work on the ways that I'm triggered by that sensory need than to tell three little boys to be quiet all of the time, right? It's never going to happen. And it shouldn't really. Why should they have to be quiet all the time? Um, So I find wearing my AirPods with some light music um, or a podcast or something just low enough in my ears to keep me feeling really calm, but still be able to hear what's going on and things, obviously. But I found little ways to deal with that. Um, The old go outside (laughs) and close the back door so that they're just yelling and the, the noise and their loud superhero games become a bit of a dull roar instead of that in my head really, really helps too. Self-care is so important. It gives you the capacity and the capability to deal with difficult moments, whether that be journaling or facials or phone calls with your girlfriend or your mum or a night out, you know, once a month with your girlfriends or anything, a, a swim at the beach on your own. Whatever ways you need to to take that self-care is so important because that will give you that capability to deal with things when they're really, really, really tough. It will, if your cup is already empty, it's so much harder for you to be able to cope. The final pre sort of thought here is back to that we want to respond but not react. If we find ourselves in a place of reaction, that is when we're going to scream, hit, yell, and just feel totally overwhelmed. We need to find ways to get ourselves out of a reaction prior to being in a distress. So prior to them bickering, screaming, yelling in this conflict, and you're like, oh my God, I just can't cope. We need to have ways and techniques and tried and tested that we can go to and things we can access that's going to put us out of that reaction and back into responding to them so that we can deal with the situation the way that we would like to deal with it. Whether that be a nice big conscious breath, walking out of the room for a moment. If everyone is safe, you may not need an immediate reaction. It may be okay for you to walk back inside, take a big deep breath, recenter, and then go back out and respond. If you're in a good place, you're in a green zone, you're going to be able to help them get out of a red zone. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Okay, so when it comes to discipline, the things I like to think about is, is it mindful and conscious? So what am I trying to teach them and how can I teach them that thing? I is telling them that Santa won't come because they didn't eat their veggies. Is that going to teach them that food is good for their body? Is telling them that they can't go to swimming lessons on Friday because they took their brother's toy going to teach them to be empathetic? Sit back, reflect, and learn. If it's not working, change it up. Why keep doing it? You know, if 
people say, oh, I do time out, but it doesn't work, but they keep doing it. Okay. So if it doesn't work, why are we still doing it? We need to change it up. We need to find something that does work. Young kids don't really have the capacity to sit on a timeout chair and just sit there and ponder their actions and think on their own independently. Oh, why am I sitting here? What should I do better next time? You know, well, let's, let's put Finn in this age. So he's four. A four-year-old doesn't really have the capacity to sit there at four and go, hmm, I didn't handle that very well. Knox took my toy off me and rather than negotiate with it for its return I just punched him then he's not going to do all of that while he's sitting on the chair he's just going to sit there and feel more hard done by more excluded probably more angry at the world and feel like I've taken Knox's side and less likely to work with Knox to come up with a problem solution next time and is more likely to just react And of course, do as I do, not as I say. We need to model the behaviors for the kids. You know, hitting a child while saying saying to them, we do not hit, and hitting that child, which I've seen in public before, is that showing them the behaviors we want them to do? Are we teaching them that we don't hit or are we teaching them that when I'm bigger than you and I'm angrier, I'm going to hit you and that's that's your punishment. Just food for thought. So when we do discipline, we want to first get our kids out of the red zone and get them into green. So when we're talking about really young kids, we're talking about red is when we just need to get them out of that emotion emotional response, that anger, that um, conflict. We want to pull them out, restore calm, keep everybody safe and get them to green. Green is where they learn. Green is where they're calm. Green is where they can start to understand um, logic. And there are some beautiful cards and resources. Um, Look up the Brooklyn Way on Instagram. She's got emotional regulation cards where sometimes she'll, you know, you can just check in with your kids if you're feeling perhaps before school or you can notice they're a bit on edge. Are you in the red zone or the green zone? Helps them put into place how they're feeling and what's going on and help them get to green. We have things in our house that are special things. So we, we're teaching our kids respect for others' belongings. If my kids came up and took my phone off me, I would ask for it back and pretty much demand it back, right? That's not something that they're allowed to play with. So I think it's really important that our kids also have those special items that they don't have to share. It's not fair that my seven-year-old has seven-year-old toys and that we expect you know kids to share, of course, but his brothers can't just waltz into his room and take his stuff. That's not fair. And there has to be boundaries around that. And everyone in the family need to be aware of those boundaries. Family meetings are a really, really good place to discuss those boundaries. So um, everyone at the table, after a meal where everyone's fed and happy and calm, and you can discuss those boundaries or special things. Knox's Lego is just for Knox. That's not yours. You have your own Lego that's your age Lego. That seven-year-old Lego, you're not allowed to play with that. Teddy could swallow it. All those things, those boundaries and those reasons behind those boundaries in a really calm and safe place, not in the heat of the moment. And enforcing those boundaries, that keeping those boundaries safe. So the person whose special toy it is knows that that's a boundary and can respond in a way that they know they're going to have the backing of the parent because that is a special toy. There's no need to punch or hit or wrestle or fight over that toy. They know that they can use communication to get somebody to help them return that special toy. Okay, so once we've got our kids in that green zone, we want to help find a solution. We don't want to pit our kids against each other. We want to try and teach problem solving in times of conflict instead of punishing one person. 
and, you know, not rewarding the other person, but taking the other person's side. We want conflict management. So empathy will then come from teaching them to see the other person's side, the other perspective. And that needs to happen when that child is in the green zone. There is no point that in the middle of a meltdown when they're crying and you're telling them, stop crying, that's your brother's toy you're not allowed to touch that. It's only for big kids. None of that is sinking in. That is not becoming a lesson. They can't understand that as a lesson yet. So we need to stop, help them get to green, and then we're going to talk about all those different things and help them see the other person's perspective. The other thing I want you to think about is consequences. So they're sort of split up into three sections, natural, logical, and illogical. Natural consequences are like, I went out today for a walk, I forgot my umbrella and I got wet. Getting wet is a natural consequence. A logical consequence would be like they pushed their brother off the lounge and their brother fell on the floor, cracked his head open and felt pain. That's logical. You've done something that has caused that logical reaction. And an illogical consequence would be like the Santa doesn't come because you don't eat your veggies. So we need to go back to those logical and natural consequences to teach older kids empathy and remorse. We need them to know that with every action has a consequence and whether that be positive or negative, that's the way life works. And that's how we can try and teach them remorse and empathy to be able to say, right, you pushed your brother, he fell off the lounge, now he's hurt. That is something that has occurred because of your actions. We're not saying you're a naughty boy, you pushed him, you've hurt your brother. We're explaining that step from their action to the consequence, which hopefully will start to reinforce that sense of empathy and remorse. Today's episode is brought to you by Bell Fever, Australia's most highly rated personalised jewellery store. It's a family-run Australian company specialising in creating handcrafted, personalised jewellery, and with over 17,000 five-star reviews, you know you're in safe hands. Customize all kinds of jewelry and items such as key rings with inscriptions and photos. They can even turn handwritten notes or drawings into a special keepsake. I would love to have one of Noxie's masterpieces turned into a special charm. Whether you're searching for a custom piece for yourself, a gift for a special occasion, or wanting to keep a loved one close after a loss, Bell Fever has a range to suit everyone. I showcase my beautiful heart pendant necklace with my four precious boys' names written on my Instagram. Backed with a 365-day warranty and a 100% love-it guarantee, you can breathe easy when ordering special keepsakes. Use code TCP20 for a big discount at bellfever.com.au. That's B-E-L-L-E fever at www.bellfever.com.au and use code TCP20. So all those talking points in mind, I know that was a lot of bit of a verbal blah at you. What do I actually do? Okay, Finn is hitting Knox. Finn's my bit more hands-on. Knox is a lot more um, gentle by nature. Uh, Finn is a little bit more bull by nature. <laughs> so what do we actually do? So we stop the behavior straight away. Stop, ensure everyone is safe. If I'm in a place of reaction and not a response, then I'll take a big, big breath in. One, two, out, three, four. Really big, deep breath. Concentrate on your stomach. Feel the air going in and out and actually really center. 
we need to obviously try and get that child back to the green zone and then bring our teaching moment in. So scenario is Finn has just gotten angry at Nox because they um, they he didn't understand the rules of the game and they're arguing over the rules of the game. So Finn hits Nox. So scenario one, I come in and go, what have I told you? We don't hit. You're a naughty boy. You are not playing this game anymore. You've hit Nox. I may even hit him and put him on the the timeout chair. So I've told him we don't hit. I've hit him. I've excluded him from the family, from the moment. I've moved him aside. You need to go and deal with all of that emotion and reaction on your own over there on the chair. Now, in his little brain, his brain is in this fight or flight moment. The stress hormones are going crazy and he's now trying to emotionally regulate, which is really, really difficult. So he might be growling or roaring or crying or hitting the table or doing any of those sorts of things. Scenario two, I walk in, I say, stop. I won't let you hit. I may even grab his hands if I need to. Stop. I won't let you hit. We, Those boundaries are firm. They are non-negotiable. We don't hit our brothers. That will hurt them. That's a consequence. We don't hit. That hurts. Finn will probably be crying at this point or pleading his case or, you know, we're not, we're still in the red zone here. So we need to return them back to the green zone. With Finn, a big tight squeeze cuddle will always bring him down. I can literally feel his body relax into mine and, you know, really his heart start to stop racing and really feel him relax. And I can see, physically see when he calms back down into that green zone. Use our words. Then we go into a discussion. Finn, why don't we hit? Oh, you know, it hurts Knox, whatever else. Well, how did you feel yesterday when Knox hit you or such and such hit you? And what could you have done differently? He might say tell you or whatever else, but start to come and problem solve. This would be a really, really great time to say, remember that episode on Bluey when Bluey was really angry at Bingo and what did she do? Or remember that book we read that told us about putting our hands up in front of our face and saying, stop, that would have been a better option. I don't make my kids apologize. I don't think it's genuine if a child is told to apologize and they walk over and say, sorry, but I ask them to identify how the other one feels. And I do ask them to ask their brothers how to make it better. So rather than send them up to the other person and say, sorry, we go up and we make them say, how can I make it better? How can I help you to feel better? And although sometimes it's said with a bit of a growl, like, how can I make you feel better? It's a really lovely way to start them feeling empathetic and feeling like they're putting themselves in the other person's shoes. And now they just do it without me having to tell them, you know, they will hurt the other person. I've, you know, they were on the trampoline the other day and they've bumped heads or something. And I I heard Finn say to Knox, I'm sorry, how can I make it better? And we model that behavior. I apologize to them when I get it wrong. When I yell and scream or I lose my temper or I accidentally break something of theirs or, you know, anything like that, I apologize. I show them what it means to be sorry. And I think that's so much more powerful than just using words that they probably don't really understand 
you know, the whole point of saying, I'm sorry. We want them to want to say sorry. I think with sibling rivalry, it also comes down to don't over-control or over-police them. It's where they're learning to work together and they're problem-solving and they're getting good at conflict management. I think that Knox, as the eldest of three boys, is going to be fantastic at conflict management when he's older. So not every argument and fight needs a adult intervention. Sometimes it's okay to step back and let them work it out themselves. Younger children and tantrums. It is so hard. It's one of those really, really triggering moments as a parent when it's, you know, crowded and we're in the middle of a shopping center and they just want that kinder surprise. And you're like, nope, you had a lollipop in the last store. You're not buying it. Other people are probably looking at you and you feel like everyone's judging you and they're all just thinking, just buy them the lolly for God's sakes or, you know, whatever else. It's, but it's so normal to have tantrums. And I mean, I think when we're talking about tantrums, we put the kids in that two to three year old age of these terror twos or, um, you know, three angels and all the rest of it. But it's actually developmentally really normal for even a four or five, you know, year old to have a tantrum. It's, it's that, that sort of sense of sensory overwhelm. And it's not that they're a naughty kid, it's that they're learning to emotionally regulate. To understand tantrums and how we should deal with them, we really need to put ourselves in their shoes. You know, they're really little, they're surrounded by big people. These two and three-year-olds mainly come up to our hips. Um, We're in a shopping centre, there's all of the things, like all these amazing, exciting, yummy things on the shelves, but we're not allowed to touch them or we're not allowed to buy them. We can't, we have no control over what we take home. There's lights, there's sounds, there's music, there's talking. We have no idea how long we're going to be there for. Might be hungry or we're not sure when we're going to eat or what's going to happen next. Mum is so focused or dad is so focused on getting all the shit done. And I just, you know, want to run up to the other end of um, the shopping centre where I can see the, the chocolate milk section. I just want to go and have a look at that because that's what's got my attention you know, they're they're out of control and they lack the brain capacity to deal with that impulse control. They want to touch. They want to touch. Um, they're not sure yet of the social norms that it's not okay to just pick things up off the shelves and play with them and that would mean that if they broke it, they have to pay for it, all of that. They can't understand that yet. They don't understand that there's a, a society's normal inside voice and that we shouldn't just screech and scream and, and yell things that we need to use a smaller voice. And they're still learning consequences. This will occur if I do that. If I touch that and it breaks and mum has to pay money. You know, they don't, they're still learning all of those connections. And at two or three, they're just not even, not even close to being there yet. On top of all of that, they're still learning to regulate those emotions. So when they're feeling like the world is unfair, that means their emotions are going to come out and they actually still need our help to calm back down. So when there's someone, just an adult saying to them, stop it, stop it, calm down, calm down, stop crying, that's not helping them calm down. That's just piling on top of them when they're already in this emotional overwhelm. So let's think of it as a pot. So the pot is boiling, it's boiling, it's boiling, it's going to boil over. And then all of a sudden, if nobody nobody goes, nobody helps out the poor pot and the pot of water. It's just going to boil dry. It will eventually stop boiling because it's boiled dry. It's exhausted. It's out of water. A child's the same. They will eventually stop 
because they will get exhausted or they will cry themselves to sleep or, you know, when you've had a child or a baby in the car and and you're on a freeway and you can't stop, you can't do anything, you've just got to keep going and they cry and cry and eventually will cry themselves to sleep because they just run out of steam. It's the same sort of thing. They will eventually stop their tantrum on their own because they're exhausted and they've stopped. But if the pot is boiling and we go in, we turn the heat down, we put a lid on it to contain and we clean up the mess, the water's left in the pot and we've supported the pot through. If we go into the child, we reduce the overwhelm, we put a lid on it, we you know give them a big tight cuddle, we talk them through and we clean up the mess with that cuddle or that reassurance and, and that assistance We're teaching our children their emotions are valid and they should express them safely and openly. Then we'll teach them as they get older the better ways to do that. So many adults are teaching children to suppress their emotions. Don't cry, you're fine. And then those children grow up with a lack of empathy for other people's pain and experiences or a lack of ability to explain when they're hurting and they need help and that resistance to ask for help or to share their emotions because we're teaching them from such a young age to suppress them. So they're having a tantrum. We're in the shopping center. It's really, really overwhelming. And their body goes into that total overwhelm fight or flight, which to us looks like they're on the floor and they're crying and they just want that chocolate. Their stress hormones, the cortisol, actually needs to drop before we can get through to them. Be calm. Don't join their chaos. Talk calm. Hold them if they respond to that or just be close. It's not the time for talking and logic right now. It's just, I am here. I am here. Don't suppress their emotions or devalue them. Just hold space for them. Once they're calm, name their emotion. You're angry because I said no to the chocolate. You're angry because he took your toy. You're upset because I won't buy you the chocolate. And that's when we can then, in an age-appropriate way, what could we have done better? What could we do to move forwards? Ask them these questions and have them allow allow them the the space to actually think about what they could do better, what they could, you know, what they could do to move forwards from this situation in an age appropriate way. Obviously, a two year old, we're not going to do that. We're going to redirect and distract. The more we try and rush them through it, the worse it's going to be. As tempting and as we've all done it, myself included, way too many times and just tried to say, that's enough, stop crying, let's go, we've got to go, we've got to go. The more we try and rush them through that emotion, it, it just gets worse, right? It doesn't work. Telling someone to stop crying has, I don't think, ever stopped anybody from crying. <laughs> I know. And if somebody told me when I was crying to stop, it wouldn't. I wouldn't stop. So we need to be aware that that cortisol levels are really, really high and they can't understand logic right now. It's not the time for talking. Talk calm. Don't join their chaos. Speak to them really, really calmly. I'm here. It's going to be okay. Hold them really close. Finn really responds when I squeeze tight, cuddle him. And I actually feel the moment that his little body relaxes and his heart rate comes down. And then I can talk to him. And if your child doesn't respond to being touched, because some won't, it'll go either way. Just be close, just so they know. And they and you keep talking to them calm until they they start to come back into that green zone. 
once they're calm for age appropriate, you know, but those older kids, we can start to name their emotions and, you know, ask what we could have done better or what we can do to move forwards. Even as a young, you know, Teddy sort of age at two, I could say, you're upset because I've said no to the chocolate, but we're not having one today. At they get a little bit older, sort of more Finn's age, we can say, what can we do to move forwards and try and keep moving through? When they're really young, sometimes it's best just to distract and redirect. Oh, what's going on over there? Come on, help mummy put the groceries up on the, on the belt here, up on the table. Once they've got that big surge of emotion out and their cortisol levels start to drop back down, you can then start to go back to those normal tried and tested ways of, you know, scooping them up and start walking towards the registers and that sort of thing. But I think it just helps when we're in those moments to know what's going on with their bodies and that's going to help us know how to help them through that time without resulting to just, you know, the yelling, stop crying because everybody doesn't know what to do. I hope that's helped. I feel like there's no right or wrong answer and there's no exact way to handle a tantrum or a sibling rivalry. But I think that once we we really hold space for those principles and those thinking points, our actions then are reflected by those. And if we act in an empathetic way, it can never be wrong. You know, if we if we take a moment to understand what they're going through and try and be, you know, the adult, try and be the person that's 30, helping a two or three or five-year-old deal with their action, with their emotions. We have so much more life experience and, and so much more conflict management skills than them. And we have to remember that sometimes. I know I easily get caught into, you know, matching their chaos and not staying calm in their chaos. I've loved talking about this today. I think the biggest takeaways are the red and green zones, remembering that when a child is in a state of red, you cannot use logic or reasoning. You need to return them to green, return them to calm before the learning can occur. You know, to jump in if they're hurting someone and stop. I won't let you hit. Hold them if you need to. Hold their hands. Those boundaries are firm. And and remind them, we don't hit. That hurts. Empathy comes from knowing others' experiences. That hurts them. We don't hit. And then go into that reflection. Why don't we hit? How did you feel when you were hit? What could we do differently? And how can I make it better? I love that my boys ask each other how they can make it better because both of them end up being seen and valued and they move from two people in a ring battling to be right to two people on the same team problem solving. Thanks for tuning in today. I would love to continue the conversation with you over on Instagram at the Conscious Project Podcast. Hit subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. And I would be so grateful if you would take a moment to leave me a five-star review. It really does help. Take care.